Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 160. And today we're going to be talking about endometriosis. What is it? What are some misconceptions? How is it diagnosed? How does it affect people diagnosed with endometriosis? Um, but before we get to all of that, I want to just run down some quick, uh, quick things on the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. So the first thing is uh, June, the month of June. I know it's July, but we're only one, one week into July. But June was National Migraine Awareness Month, and I had just been to the uh, ISPI, the uh, in, in, International Spine and Pain Institute's Clinical Conference a few weeks ago. One of the speakers was Ina Diener. Ina is uh, out of South Africa. She is an expert in the treatment of those people suffering from headaches, migraines. Uh, and so if you want more information on her, she can be found on Twitter at, at Ina Diener. That's I-N-A-D-I-E-N-E-R. She's also written a great book alongside Adrian Lowe, and you can find that at ispinstitute.com. Go under resources, and it's under booklets. So that's number one. And number two, uh, this kind of goes with the theme of today's show. If you live in the New York City area, August 13th, which is a Thursday night, the Endometriosis Foundation of America is having a benefit. It's a paint painting night. So basically, you go to a bar, you paint, you drink wine, you get to hang out with some cool ladies. I, I see that as a win-win-win. So that's August 13th. It's a Thursday night at 7 p.m. at Stone Creek Bar, which I believe is on 27th between uh, Lex and 3rd. Cool little bar. Uh, been there plenty of times. And the important thing about this benefit is you have to pre-register. So in order to do that, you can go to endofound, that's E-N-D-O-F-O-U-N-D dot org to sign up. So again, if you're in the New York City area, you want to support the Endometriosis Foundation of America at their benefit, August 13th, Thursday night, Stone Creek Bar, 7 p.m., pre-register at endofound.org. Oh, and one other thing, um, getting back to the headaches. If you wanted to listen to a first-hand account of someone suffering from migraines, uh, you can go to www. and this is a big one, so this is all going to be in my newsletter as well, um, wogl.cbslocal.com. Dot com. Once you're on there, you can click on to the tab that says on air and then scroll down a little ways and you will see the Philadelphia Agenda with Brad Siegel. That's B-R-A-D-S-E-G-A-L-L. And he is interviewing Sarah Hackley, who is an author, wrote a book on her experience with migraines, and Denise Kovalevich, a PR uh, professional and owner of DMK Publicity. And they talk about their life living with chronic migraines. So great interview from the patient standpoint. Follow at Ina Diener. Uh, get her book from the clinician standpoint. And today, like I said, we're talking all about endometriosis. And my guest today is Dr. Sally Searle. She is a physical therapist 
and I'm going to introduce her and have her tell us a little bit more about her background and why she became interested in treating women with endometriosis. So Sally, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Hi Karen, thanks for having me. So let's get into a little bit more about you. Let's talk a little bit more about you and your practice and also why you why the interest in endometriosis because it's not something that most people would even think a PT would be helpful. Right, that's true, but um, because the pelvis has so many muscles and ligaments and fascia associated with it, we're going to learn today how much PT can really help someone. And it's interesting, I, I am a pelvic pain physical therapist. I have practices in New Jersey and in um, New York and Manhattan, and I chose to work with endometriosis because um, to be honest, it is um, my passion to help women so that they don't go down the road that I had to go down. So I spent just about um, 15 years or more suffering with not just chronic pelvic pain, which we would think would go on with endometriosis, but I had terrible back pain. I had terrible um, stomach pain. I had very chronic bloating. Um, I had um, horrible periods, and I had um, just I couldn't um, sit down because the pelvic pain would get so bad. But then again, I couldn't stand up because the leg pain and the back pain would be so bad. Mm. And I went on a, a quest. Um, while I was in between getting a master's degree in sports medicine and education and then of course my doctorate in physical therapy and I went to just about um, every kind of practitioner and every kind of doctor imaginable um, until at 35 I was um, diagnosed by Tamir Sechkin uh, with endometriosis. Wow, that is a long long time. I mean, what what were you feeling during this time? I mean, that must have been a little scary. It must have been frustrating. I mean, I can't even imagine going 15 years with all of these symptoms and and without knowing what's going on. You know, I think that my story is so much like most of the women out there with endometriosis in that you know something is wrong but nobody really listens to you and you mm -hmm. feel um, very lost and you feel um, like the world has turned its back on you and you just keep searching for help and searching for help. And I think a lot of women give up and they sort of resolve to live in chronic pain their whole life, um, which happens. And I think some women get lucky and they're able to find um, good quality care for the disease and have a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, along the way, um, endometriosis um, can have some really bad effects. And for me, um, because of that diagnostic delay, it definitely cost me my fertility. Mm, terrible. Terrible. And and let's kind of back up for, for a second. We've been talking about endometriosis. And, you know, I, well, before we even get to that, I always think that as a healthcare practitioner, as a physical therapist, when you have suffered or have gone through these chronic 
issues that, boy, doesn't it make you more sympathetic, empathetic, more interested in patients with these same issues? I mean, is that kind of what led you into treating women with endometriosis? Um, it does make me more interested and it makes me more compassionate because I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've um, suffered through um, five surgeries, three of them top. We'll discuss what excision is later. Yeah. Um, but I've been there in the middle of the night and had no one to call with pain. And I, I've been there. I've been on the message boards, especially on Facebook, looking for help the way these women um, who have endometriosis look for help. But most of all, what got me interested in treating endometriosis is as we, so for years I was told there was nothing wrong with me. Um, the year before my surgery, I had 14 MRIs that all came back Whoa. negative for anything. Um, and um, in fact, insurance didn't want to pay for my first surgery because they kept thinking, um, every doctor kept writing that I was making it up. And then I sat there in my post-op appointment, my post-operative appointment, and the video of this six-and-a-half-hour surgery that I ended up having the first time what? was playing behind the doctor with him taking disease off my bowel, off my ureters, off my kidneys. And he just turned around and he said, you have medical license. If you don't ever want this to happen to somebody else, then you're going to have to go out and change it. And I took that really seriously. And, and I've been all over the world with anyone who will have me to spread the word that endometriosis is a, is a terrible disease, but it is something we can help you do better with. And I, I've ta always taken that very seriously that I've had the opportunity to have decent care and to have help. And now it's my turn to turn around and help others. Right. Sort of pay it, paying it forward, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not a lot of people do that. So, you know, hats off to you for taking something that was obviously very traumatic and very painful and turning it around to really helping others. So congratulations on that. Um, now, before we go on, let's, can we define endometriosis? What is it? Sure. Well, endometriosis is a disease of glands and stroma in which tissue resembling, but not identical to, the endometrium is found outside of the uterus. And so a lot of people used to think that the endometrium, which is that fluffy lining that's inside of the uterus, sloughs off and goes to other parts of the body. But in actuality, when you look at endometriosis under a microscope, that it, does, it resembles a little bit of that tissue, but it's extremely different in its own way. Mm. So that it's not actually the endometrium going other places in the body, it's its own tissue, uh, um, which they say is made up of glands and stroma going in, this, in the body. And it can be found um, really everywhere. It's most often found in the pelvis, but it has been identified in the past um, on every pelvic organ, including the uterus, ovaries, tubes, ligaments, ureters, bowel, bladder, and other peritoneal surfaces. And the, the peritoneum is that lining around all your organs. Okay. And you can also have it, I've had cases with women with it in the lung. I've had cases with women with it on their sciatic nerve. I've had cases with women with it inside their kidneys. Um, I've had rare cases 
um, of it surrounding the liver, typically on the diaphragm around yeah, the liver. So I personally didn't realize that endometriosis, I thought it was just found on the outside of the uterus. I didn't realize that it's something that can spread throughout the body. So is it sort of like a tissue, the, the cells sort of proliferate and form outside? So it's of actually, it's actually um, a big discussion in the field because mm -hmm. um, technically endometriosis doesn't, there's a lot of discussion over that word spread in general. Mm. Um, and so the thought is that while endometriosis may be present at birth, and um, then something hormonally triggers the tissue, that's one theory. There's a lot of theories um, that it, while it doesn't, sp it doesn't spread, it's not like, um, oh, you know, if you, it, it, but it deepens because as endometriosis sort of sets up in the body, it's going to deepen in its way of grabbing a hold. It's not exactly spreading. So one of the issues with endometriosis is that we don't know the cause of the disease. Um, and for a long time, people thought something called Samson theory um, was that the, um, the blood would backflow through a little hole in the fallopian tubes and, and spread throughout the body, and that's how women got endometriosis. But the problem with that is that um, everybody has a little bit of backflow, um, every woman. So it, it's hard mm -hmm. to have that backflow if you're a man. Sure. But every woman has backflow of menstruation or retrograde menstruation, but only 1 in 10 have endometriosis. So... They don't quite, they, that theory doesn't quite work. And then there are all sorts of things that stop the period. So there would be no more retrograde menstruation and the pain and the disease remain. So mm. um, we're starting, just beginning to move away from Samson theory and, and um, into other theories that can include um, malarianosis, which is the theory, some of the theories that it's laid down at birth. Um, there are some good, um, hints that there's something genetic with a Hox2 gene. Um, there's some discussion about is it actually the way the stem cells function. And there's also some um, discussion about is it immunological? Is it an immunological environment that causes problems for endometriosis as well? And, and what I try to say is we just don't know. We don't know the cause of endometriosis and um, as Samson's theory is like the 1920s, and we really haven't come very far since then. And so a lot of our efforts, I would hope, would go into um, funding um, national and international research. And that's why um, projects, there's a, a new project in endometriosis that everybody can look up called the EFFECT program, E-P-H-E-C-T, and it's a... Uh, international project run by the World Endometriosis Research Foundation, or WORF, and it is um, having everybody all over the world bring their research together so that no one's going to be working in Brazil on one thing, totally, they can work on it totally independent, but they're not going to be um, hidden from something that's going on in another part of the world say, somewhere in Europe, so that we can all begin to get on the same page with research. Because once you find a cause, then I think we'll be able to find a cure. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. And it also makes sense to sort of 
have that open sharing within the research community. Because, like yeah. you said, if someone's researching something in Brazil and someone's in Europe or someone's in the United States, that, that research can be overlapping and may be the key. Right. So this was a groundbreaking project um, launched by WORF just last September. So it's not even a year old. So it's really great to see that the international community is coming together um, and we're going to act sort of as one to help all these women 176 million women worldwide with endometriosis. Wow, 176 million women worldwide. That, yeah. that is a lot of people. Um, and again, that's E-P-H-E-C-T? E-P-H-E-C-T. Great. And okay. again, I would send people to the... Um, I don't know how much access patients have to that, but I know doctors do, but mm -hmm. I would send people to the... Um, uh, endometriosis.org or the WORF website, World Endometriosis Research Foundation. Great. Well, those are two great uh, links for anybody who wants to learn more on the research. Now, so we don't know what causes it, um, but how is it diagnosed? What are symptoms that people, what are symptoms that people have, that women have, and how is it diagnosed? So endometriosis is sort of a tricky little disease because the only way to truly diagnose it is, or the gold standard of diagnosis at this point, is to view it at surgery. And you have to view it on laparoscopic surgery um, because okay. you have to see the tissue, you have to take the tissue out, and you have to send it to pathology. Okay. Um, so um, as we've said possibly before, I don't know if we've mentioned, but the average woman goes 8 to 10 years before they're diagnosed with endometriosis. Whoa, that's a long time. Right, and that's 8 to 10 years of, um, of pain, and I'm, I'm going to go through the symptoms with you in just a moment, but it's 8 to 10 years of doctor's appointments, of MRIs, of ultrasounds, of trying things, of herbal medicines, of diets, and trying all those things and seeing what works. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people don't want to take that step, but the gold standard for diagnosis is laparoscopic surgery. Okay, so uh, invasive. Invasive um, Well, we call it minimally invasive mm -hmm. surgery. Um, but I always joke that, like, it's still a hole in my body, so it's invasive to me. Of course. Right? Um, but they do call it minimally invasive surgery. It isn't, we are not opening um, hip bone to hip bone anymore. Um, it is laparoscopic surgery. But it's still, it's still surgery. It's yeah. still anesthesia. It's yeah. still going to a hospital. It's still recovering from surgery. Um, and that is how it's ultimately diagnosed. There are a lot of ways um, to go to a specialist. We do prefer, in general, that women are seen by specialists that see endometriosis all day long. Okay. So it's very hard when you're a, a regular OBGYN who's delivering babies, who's, you know, um, dealing with all the things we deal with in pelvic pain, prolapse, and incontinence, and, and dealing with that to be very, very good at endometriosis because it is such a tricky disease. And you have to really be doing surgery and being doing surgery well mm -hmm. and be listening to the stories of women all day long to understand um, how the disease needs to be treated. So, but the specialists um, are trained to do specific pelvic exams 
um, where they're feeling actually rectally on something called the uteral sacral ligaments to test to see if they feel a sickening there mm. that would lead them to believe there might be some endometriosis. And you can also feel, like, um, on pelvic exam, um, you can also feel, if, uh, sometimes you feel endometriosis nodules and things like that. So there are things that go into, you don't just, like, run out and ha- decide to have surgery. But, of course. Um, what it's, about it's a process. What about a biopsy? Um, so there's no way to get the tissue... You mean a biopsy, like, vaginally? Yeah. So there's no way to get the tissue to biopsy it out um, unless, for some reason, it was lodged in the um, vaginal wall. Got it. Like that. Got it. Got it. So um, some of the symptoms, because you had asked me about the symptoms Mm -hmm. of endometriosis. Yeah. That would lead us to possibly wanting to consider surgery are... um, Severe menstrual cramping. Um, and define, define severe. What what exactly? Because, you know, some people will say, oh, you know, I have really bad cramps, but yet, you know, they take two Advil, they feel better, they go to work. So, but it may be severe for that person. So what is the definition of severe cramps? So I think anything that is not manageable, like you're taking the two Advil and you're still in horrible pain. Or okay. by the... <laughs> by the, I'm sorry. That's okay. By the time the um, Advil is um, wearing off, you're ready to, uh, you're um, really running for more. Okay. Um, okay. So I would say menstrual cramping that prevents you from going through your average day. when you. Ha- so if um, you really are unable to get to school, to get to high school, to get to work, if you're really sitting at your desk, um, I have cramps, I can't do it, I'm suffering, feeling a heaviness in the pelvis, um, it's worth examining whether or not you could have any endometriosis. Okay, what else? Um, so the other thing is I would say that endometriosis doesn't always hurt when you are menstruating, and any kind of your pelvic pain that goes on, um, pelvic pain apart from menses is what we would say. So... Um, your women with really bad piriformis syndrome, because we have a lot of, you know, um, because of the way endometriosis can attack uh, attack the area between the rectum and the vagina called the rectovaginal septum, you can get a lot of referred pain into the piriformis, into the butt cheek, down into the legs, um, and, and the backs of the legs as well. And so that, and also um, in the side of the... Um, they call it the pelvic sidewalls, but you and I, as physical therapists, we would call that glute medius. Got so it. these pains that aren't really releasing after a long period of time, you want to think what else is going on here. Okay, and Some what, others, what would be a long period of time, like a week, a month, two months? Um, well, it also depends what age group that you're working okay. with. Okay. Um, so... Um, there's a big push now um, that, especially with a, a program called the Empower Program, which is run by the Endometriosis Foundation of America, that killer cramps are not normal. It's a campaign to go into to schools and teach um, teens um, how the period really should be so that hopefully we're not having women diagnosed at 35 who have missed and been robbed of so many opportunities in their life because of pelvic pain. And I would say, you know, pain... Not when I say prolonged pelvic pain, 
pain that really interrupts you from what you consider your quality of life for longer than two or three months at any age. Okay, at any age. Great. At any age. And and I think it's really important. um, You know, we're noticing more and more that teens don't know to complain. I'm going to list some other symptoms soon, but teens don't know to complain about their period. Sure. You know, because they've had their period and it's always been crampy and somewhere... You know, along the way, someone says, well, periods are supposed to hurt when periods are not supposed to hurt. And so they don't identify with, I shouldn't have my cramps hurt. They don't identify with that. What they do identify with is they have horrible, horrible stomach aches. Mm -hmm. And they just have prolonged sort of these um, strange IBS symptoms. Maybe somebody calls it IBS, but they never go away. And those are very good symptoms to warrant some thought about endometriosis as well, that that um, sort of painful belly, bloated belly, that mm-hmm. indescribable, but my stomach always hurts. Mm. And I see a lot of that in teens, and I would say a lot of those teens end up going through surgery and having endometriosis and being diagnosed earlier mm-hmm. to have a better long-term prognosis. Got it, got it. So some other symptoms that we see with endometriosis, um, of course, is painful intercourse okay, and pain associated with sexual, sexual activity. And a lot of women with endometriosis, because they've been having, they have endometriosis so long, they don't understand that sex isn't supposed to hurt. Mm. Um, so the reason why sex hurts is that um, when um, in heterosexual sex, if um, the male's penis hits that rectovaginal septum, it can cause tremendous pain because they're basically hitting the endometriosis and sex can be, be very, very painful for a woman with endometriosis. You can also have painful bowel movements because um, endometriosis can work its way around the bowels and around the rectum. You can be constipated. You can have that chronic loose stool. You can have chronic stomach pain. And those are all those sort of like um, diffuse IBS symptoms mm-hmm. um, that really could be endometriosis and not IBS. Um, endometriosis, because it causes so much chronic pain, you get a lot of fatigue. Um, you can have a lot of bloating from the um, inflammation in the peritoneum from the disease. Mm-hmm. People get bladder pain. They have very painful urination, very painful pelvic exams. And then I don't want to leave out that endometriosis is a cause of um, infertility and mm-hmm. it is contributed to pregnancy loss as well. So that's a lot of symptoms for, for one disease. Um, so let's, uh, here's another question. When are people diagnosed? Is there a certain age? Or it seems like teenagers up to women in their 30s or 40s. When is the typical time that people are diagnosed, um, given people live 8 to 10 years with the disease? And, And then I guess to piggyback on that question is, when should women be diagnosed? Well, I mean, women are diagnosed younger and younger these days, I think because of many efforts of women like myself um, and who have been through the disease, who are very um, open and, and verbal about, you know, these are what these symptoms could be. Mm-hmm. But basically, I've had teens as young as 13 diagnosed with endometriosis, 
and um, I it goes all the way up. I've had women who are in their 40s diagnosed with endometriosis who had absolutely no fertility issues their whole life, but they had chronic back pain and chronic this, and, and somehow they came to me and we started to pick through all the symptoms, and then they went on to be diagnosed with endometriosis. And I... Um, believe there's a, a, a lot, there's a clinic in Atlanta, the Center for Endometriosis Care, and I believe they've taken, um, like, postmenopausal women in their um, 50s that have um, ended up having endometriosis. Hmm. So, so wide range. It, right. And I think that's one of the issues with endometriosis is that um, it attacks women or, or it, it, it sort of, for me, it takes your life in a time period that should be about schooling, in a time period that should be about building a career, building a social life, um, building a family, building relationships. But it becomes this other person almost in your life. And then you're constantly having to deal with it, having to tend to it, and having to deal with the effects from it. So you're robbed of many of those experiences for a good chunk of your life, like years and years and years. So you can see we have women that are 13 that are affected by it all the way up into their 50s. And that's a a huge time to develop as a human being and to go out and try to make your way in the world and have this constantly affecting you. Yeah, I mean, it's like with any chronic condition, right? It just kind of sort of can it can have the tendency to just take over your life and then you feel like you have to put all the things you want to do on the back burner because you have to deal with this. Right. And I mean, I think also um, endometriosis has its own way of redefining your identity if, if you let it, but also anything like for me, not being able to have a child and, and to have that role in my life it redefines everything you thought you would have um, when you closed your eyes and dreamed about what it would be when you grew up, so to sure. speak. And so that's why when you talked about when should women be diagnosed, certainly if you have symptoms, it's time to talk to your doctor and it's time to find the best quality care that you can find. But there is a large movement that women should be diagnosed um, as soon as they sense symptoms, that we shouldn't be waiting until we're older because the sooner you're able to get um, better quality treatment, um, the better quality life you'll be able to have and, and more quality of life so that you're not robbed of um, a normal college experience. You're not robbed even of a normal high school experience. You're not missing days of work and you're really able to choose. No woman should have to say, oh, I can't go to medical school or I can't go to law school because I'll be home too many days with my period. So there is a large push in the field to diagnose younger and younger and to take teenagers more seriously. Right. So so it sounds to me like you're saying this to not ignore those symptoms and to seek out an expert in endometriosis to get a diagnosis sooner rather than later. Right. Well, that's the general idea. But there are many of my, we call them endosisters, all around the world, and I don't want them to feel like they can't get treatment because it's later rather than sooner. 
I mean, good quality care makes a huge difference in life anytime you get it, but it's going to, it's much, it's very, very important to be diagnosed as early as possible. Right. Okay, and, and let's go into some of the treatments. So what, so let's say you're diagnosed with endometriosis. What are the treatments? What can people do? Women. Well, so here's how, here are some of the things. Um, we talked about, you just used the word endometriosis expert. So uh, I, nowadays, especially with Google and the Internet, I could basically call myself an expert in, in, in anything I choose to. That's, but, that's, a, that's a very good point. Right. right. In endometriosis, there's a lot of ways um, to deal with it. And, um, one, of course, surgery, because it's the gold standard of diagnosis, is a very important thing to have, and it's very important to have surgery a specific way. So a lot of doctors, you will go to them and they'll say, we'll burn it off or we'll cauterize the disease. I'll just laser it a little here and there. And the issue with that is they go into the pelvis, they see a little disease, they take something basically like a flamethrower and they burn the disease, right? And the problem with endometriosis is it isn't just what you see on the top. It's like an iceberg. So now they've burned off the little bit of tip that they saw, but there's so much disease lying underneath that not only is the person going to get scar tissue and pain from um, what was burnt, but there's still disease lying underneath. Mm. And so we are, I really um, advocate, as do most of the um, uh, better women working in endometriosis at this time, is that you're looking for someone who specifically does excision surgery. And in excision surgery, whether they use a robot, whether they use a laparoscope, whether they're using scissors, whether they're using, however they're doing it, they're taking that disease and they're not just taking that tip, but they're going down through the root of the disease. They're getting the whole iceberg. They're not just getting that little peak that's sticking out. And when you have excision, there are guys that are trained, they see typically endometriosis all day long. They're going to go through, or there, there are some, there, I shouldn't say guys, because there are some excellent female surgeons. So, um, and they're going to go through um, your urethra, they're going to go through the whole body very systematically. And excision is going to um, likely cause the least amount of issues post-operatively. But most of all, it's going to attack all the disease that's able to be viewed at the time of surgery. So that's the way to go surgically. Yeah, that definitely um, makes more sense than just taking off the top layer. Right. And I, for your newsletter, we can um, do a couple links of, of some um, websites that ex sort of explain excision a little better if you'd like me to do yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So then... The other thing is, because um, it's my thing, but one of the things that we're noticing with endometriosis is that the pelvis and the brain, they sort of talk to each other. Sure. And the pelvis is undergoing this horrible pain all day long. It's like having appendicitis every day of your life. I mean, if you just want if you want an analogy. Yeah. And so. Well, terrible. Um, as we've learned from other broadcasts that you had, the brain begins to recognize that pain. And it it's gets annoyed. And sometimes in the way that the brain gets annoyed, it makes the pain worse. Mm -hmm. And sometimes 
what happens is you can take away the insult, which is the endometriosis in the pelvis, and then the brain is still connected to that pain. Mm -hmm. And so what we like to do, and that happens, I would say, in a lot of endometriosis patients um, for a lot of reasons. And so what we do with pelvic physical therapy, or one of the things that we do with pelvic physical therapy is that we um, reconnect the brain to the pelvis in a positive way so that the pain um, stops. Because if you can't break that pain loop and the way the brain and the pelvis are talking, then even if you've done a good quality surgery, the pain may not stop. So That's physical true. therapy can do a lot to stop that. That's true. That's a great that, point. The other thing that can happen with endometriosis, and they're showing um, research shows that this is happening more and more and more, is that once you have endometriosis, the muscles in the pelvis automatically spasm in reaction to the disease. So whether you're a young teen or whether you're a postmenopausal woman, if there's endometriosis present, the, the tone in the muscle and the spasms in the muscle is a little bit higher. So just like if you hurt, had shoulder surgery or you had hip surgery or knee surgery, after you have endometriosis surgery, it is crucial to have the um, alignment in the pelvis looked at and the pelvic floor looked at to make sure um, now that the disease has been cut out that the spasms and the issues in the pelvis with that tightness in the muscles and the fascia and the bones and the ligaments gets released. And, and, that's, and that's, that's where our PT comes in. Right. That's where I suggest PT. I mean, I also think there's a lot of things um, we do a lot of in my practice, a technique called visceral manipulation, which sort of helps, the, again, with that way the brain senses the organs again, and it builds... I like to say a better relationship, but it builds, it helps the body understand that um, the pain is, is gone as well. Yeah, because, you know, when you've had pain for a long time, you know, they say when you've had chronic pain, the brain gets really, really good at producing pain. And, and right. we know that nociception or tissue damage is not necessary for pain. If you look, it's kind of analogous to someone with um, phantom limb pain. Right? So, right? so the leg has been amputated, yet they still have pain in the foot when the foot's not there. So it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that. You know, you, the surgeon has gone in and taken out the diseased tissue, yet the pain is still there. So, I will also say that another reason why we need physical therapy after endometriosis surgery is not just because the tissue is gone and the brain has to build that better connection, but it's because while the tissue is in the body, it sort of warps the entire way your pelvis functions sure. from your big toe and your foot all the way up your leg, into your hips, into your sacrum, up your spine, and back up into your neck. Because your whole body has had to adapt to all this tissue is in there. So there's a lot of strengthening and stretching and things that need to be done because it's not just cut out the disease and you're good to go get out the door, you're perfect to play tennis again or perfect to go swimming again. So it really takes a lot of rehab um, to help everything integrate 
um, so that you can have the best quality of life to go do whatever it is you want to do. And are most doctors referring their patients after endometriosis surgery to physical therapy? Is this a, a protocol or is this something that still needs a little work? Uh, it's a constant battle. Yeah. So patients really need to speak up and, and ask for this. And not only ask for this, but ask for somebody who really knows how to um, do manual skills. They need a, a physical therapist that has really good manual skills um, and also a really good bedside manner because when you have endometriosis, any day uh, that you exist could be the worst day of your life. And so you have to be able to make it to therapy, to physical therapy, and, and deal with the therapist that's working on you as well. Sure. And I have to say... Um, one of my, I'm so grateful to be a physical therapist and to, in some ways, and to have this disease because I've gotten to develop all sorts of um, programs specific to the disease. But one of my surgeries, I had endometriosis on the um, inside of my psoas muscle, oh, yeah, yeah. which is a hip, yeah, which is a hip flexor muscle. Sure. And I, I came home and I, like, I got down on the floor to pet the dogs because I have two very small dogs. And I couldn't stand back up again because there was no strength in the leg. Hmm. And so we've added into my practice a lot of components of strengthening because anytime they do surgery, especially on the core, you need to add in core strengthening and like to, to really balance out everything that was um, morphed surgically. It's just yeah. a, a, the nature of the game. Wow. So, so if anyone's listening out there and you're a patient or you have endometriosis, you know someone who's diagnosed with endometriosis, uh, get yourself to a good pelvic physical, pelvic health physical therapist and they'll be able to, I, it sounds like, kind of get you the rest of the way to, to how you want to live your life. I mean, that's what PTs do, right? We get you back to doing right. the things that you love and, and get you back to feeling like, like yourself. So I think it's really important yeah. to, to find a good physical therapist that specializes in pelvic health. And I think on the APTA website, APTA.org, you can uh, hop on there and find a physical therapist uh, around that might be near yeah. you with the, with that deal with women with pelvic pain. I think one of the other issues with endometriosis is because you can't really see it very well, um, it's easy to say, um, I need another surgery, I need another surgery, um, and how much of our pain is really um, stemming from this pelvic floor, mm. and how, how much, so I always tell patients, um, either pre or, they should be either pre or post-surgically, before a second surgery, before a third surgery, before they, not the diagnostic surgery, but before they go through another round of surgery, they should really be evaluated from how much pain of that is referred um, from the pelvic floor itself and how much also could be referred um, from the way the bladder generates pain. So um, the bladder itself can generate a whole lot of pelvic pain, and we can certainly do a show one time on, right. on interstitial cystitis. I'll show that. I'll throw that up there. But that with endometriosis, because it's in your pelvis, it, causes, it wreaks havoc on everything that's down there from um, the nerves to the pelvic floor to the bladder and, you know, to take into account all those causes of pain. And 
I always find like the physical therapist, whether they have the answer for you or not, they're just a great little tool to put in your toolbox when you try to um, sort of walk through this um, experience of having endometriosis. Yeah, and and you know, when it it just makes such great sense. Why not go to a physical therapist to perhaps avoid another surgery? Right. Well, you and right. I get that. I do feel that. I get it. I get it. Right. You get it. Some I people get it. I do feel like in the five years I've been in private practice that um, that people are beginning, that the surgeons are beginning to get it too. I know, I know some of the surgical societies have um, traveled me internationally to teach it and some some here, like, they, they don't look at you like you're a nut job when you say you're a public physical therapist and you're standing lecturing in a surgical conference anymore. But I do feel like we have such a lot, it makes such sense to us, but we have such a long way to go with trying to get that word out about how important physical therapy is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully shows like this and the fact that you do go out and you lecture around the world, I mean, those are great ways to start. You know, it's got to start somewhere. And, and if it's educating, so even if you're... If you're a woman and you're listening to this and you go to your OBGYN, maybe you can mention to your OBGYN, hey, listen, I've been having some pelvic pain, if, whether you have endometriosis or not, I think it might be a good idea to see a physical therapist. Do you know of any? And if they don't, tell them. Who? Tell them. Go to APTA.org. Find a pelvic health therapist and you can educate your doctor. I mean, most doctors will listen to their patients. So, you know, it's, it's got it, like you said, it's got to start somewhere, but the more you can get the word out, the better, the, the quicker it will, it will, um, get through the medical world. So let's see, we've got a couple of minutes left here. So what do you think are the biggest takeaways, uh, for women listening to the show today or men, but you know, endometriosis happens in women. What are the biggest takeaways for women, um, in, in your opinion, what are the most important things they need to know about endometriosis? I think the most important things we need to know about endometriosis, um, as a woman that suffers from endometriosis, is that, um, you know, you're not alone and the pain is not in your head, that mm. this is a, a real disease that will weave its way into your pelvis and beyond, as we discussed, and into your life. And um, it's really quite okay to say that you need help, but most of all, we have to find you the best ways to get help. Um, and for me, the takeaway messages um, include, like, that um, we need to listen to our teens when they're just complaining about stomach aches and cramps and things a little bit too long, that it's affecting their ability to go to school, to play sports. Um, if your periods are ex affecting your ability um, to play sports or to um, go to work or to enjoy your life, to participate in your life as a couple, to um, uh, prolonged infertility, unexplained, things like that, you need to think about endometriosis time we think about endometriosis as a disease that really plays a true role in um, chronic pain in society. And then also, I'd like us all to think about if you're going through excision surgery, and please ask your doctor specifically what technique they're using, and if they're not using excision, 
Um, you need to make a decision if that's right for you. My own opinion, that's not what's right, but you really need to be cutting the disease out at its very root, um, and excision provides the opportunity to do that. And then after excision surgery, you know, it's time to rehab your body. It's time to get you on your feet and back to your life and back to the things that make you happy, and physical therapy is one of those things that's going to help you do that. Yeah, and, and I can't agree with you more, and I want to thank you. This was great. This is such an education for people, so thank you so much uh, for taking the time out. So Dr. Sally Searle, she, if you want to follow her on Twitter, she's at Happy Pelvis on Twitter, but where can people find out more information about you, read your blog, see what you're up to? Um, so you can find out more about me on my website, www.sallysorrell.com, S-A-L-L-I-E-S-A-R-R-E-L.com. Um, I also uh, have a large Facebook following, Endometriosis, Infertility, and Pelvic Pain. Um, and uh, I'm around. I have a, a lot of articles up on the Center for Endometriosis Care.com. I have a lot of videos up on um, endofound.org. They have a fantastic video gallery um, uh, to learn all about endometriosis, and they have more than one um, endometriosis and physical therapy video from me. And then also I have a YouTube channel at DR Sally PT on YouTube. And that's S-A-L-L-I-E-P-T on YouTube, correct? Yes, yes. S-A-L-L-I-E-S-A-R-R-E-L. Yes. Right. -E -E Got it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was great information, great information for me because I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about endometriosis until I started researching uh, for this podcast. So this has been a, a really great uh, education for me. So I thank you for myself and thank you from all the listeners. So uh, Sally, thanks for coming on. Thanks again. Thanks. Take and care. Thank you. And everyone else, thank you for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.